Welcome to the Dripping in Black podcast, where we celebrate Black excellence throughout the Black diaspora. Here's your host, David V. Lewis. What's up, good people all across the world? This is the Dripping in Black podcast. I am your host, David V. Lewis. And per usual, we have another fantastic guest. Today's guest is Dr. William Lake. William, say hello to the world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. All right. So, Dr. William Lake, uh, we have a mutual acquaintance, and that's how uh, we set up this interview uh, by the name of Dr. Tanya Mitchell-Spratlin, who was also a guest on the, the podcast earlier. Right. And she was one of our more phenomenal guests that we've had. And so we want to shout her out. But she set this thing up where we have a chance to learn Dr. William Lake's story. So let's begin by talking about William Lake. Who, who is William Lake? Uh, um, well, first, I was um, I'm the son of um, two wonderful parents who uh, unfortunately um have left me and are resting with the ancestors, William Lake Sr. and Janice Lake, um, mother and father. Um, I'm the brother of Jennifer Manet Lake. Uh, she's going to kill me because I just used her middle name, but I named her so I get <laughs> to do that. Um, oh. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> absolutely, yeah, I did. Um, that's a funny story about that, but I won't even go there. But uh, she was, um, so we both are from, Cambridge, Maryland, which is on the eastern shore of uh, the state of Maryland. Um, To give people an idea of where that is, uh, if you've ever been to Ocean City, we're about an hour before Ocean City, a small gas stop town, um, great seafood um, there. Um, I was, my actual house is about 15 minutes from the birthplace of Harriet Tubman. And so um, that's uh, part of the pride and um, tradition and heritage of my hometown in that area. Gloria Richardson is another major name. It's International Women's Week. So these are great names to put out there. Um, uh, She's a product of Cambridge, Maryland, um, a big um, icon in the civil rights era. Um, Cambridge was a hotbed, uh, believe it or not, for that period of time. So um, that's where I'm from. Uh, I started playing the piano at the age of two. Uh, For some reason, I was able to replicate sounds that I heard in church worship. I was a member of Wall Chapel United Methodist Church uh, there in Cambridge. And for some reason, I could hear what the choir was singing. I would run to the piano. And I'm sure it started off as just banging or whatever at first. But eventually, people could uh, recognize melodies that I'm actually playing back what was actually just sung freaked my mother out. She didn't understand how that was supposed to work because, you know, here I am two, three, not really reading at that point. Um, But how am I able to replicate sounds that I'm hearing? And so at the age of four, I started taking piano lessons with uh, Peggy Farrow, another awesome uh, black woman in my uh, experience there. And um, she asked me, how would you like it if you could pick up any piece of music and you could play what was on the page? And of course I was fine with that, uh, having played by ear, but the idea of being able to be limitless, 
uh, when it came to my musicianship really inspired me. And so uh, I did that, played, took lessons with her, um, joined the school band in fourth grade. And at some point in time, either fourth or fifth grade, I had another wonderful female in my life, Candace Alabak, who is no longer uh, with me. Um, as she's passed on, she passed away due to, due to um, breast cancer, but she was my band director. And one day, I don't know why, but I asked her, why do you get to conduct all the time and all we get to do is play? And she, <laughs> she was kind of like, oh, well, what do you mean? You know, teachers, we say that in order to kind of stall, to try to figure out like, well, how in the world am I supposed to answer this, this kid? Yeah. But uh, she actually, uh, she asked me, well, what do you mean? I said, no, well, you know, in our uh, little method book, it uh, shows us that, you know, this is the two pattern, this is a three pattern, this is the four pattern. Yeah, it's pretty easy. So like, why do you get to do this all the time? And what she did for me is something that I always tell this story as a model of um, what access looks like and what great music education looks like, because instead of dismissing me and saying, well, you know, I'm the conductor and you're, you know, the trombone player. She said, well, William, come up. Here's my baton and conduct the band. And we were playing R. Lee. And not only did I conduct it, but when I was done, I guess she thought I was done, but I wasn't done because I was telling people, well, you're too loud and you didn't do this right and whatever. So I completely <laughs> like went into total conductor mode. And, um, you know, after then I had a great uh choir teacher, Babs Huffnagel, um, who I still keep in contact with, elementary school. Uh, it was, mm -hmm. I remember, it was uh, Black History Month, either fourth or fifth grade. She taught the Negro National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. And I told her, well, we sing this in church all the time. And this isn't really how this goes. It goes like this, <laughs> you know, or whatever, you know, putting the salt, pepper and ketchup on uh, how we do that. And so she invited me mm -hmm. to play along with her and she allowed me to choose like the tempi and the style and all those kind of things. So, so I just had tons of people pouring into me and affirming, you know, my artistry. I played in middle school and uh, sang in the choir there. Um, I had a great experience. Uh, Deborah Rowe, great choral teacher. Um, to grow with her, I accompanied the choir, played in jazz band with uh, Chuck Bilkanish. And then I had uh, a, a gentleman who was a legacy um, in my hometown, my high school band director, Robert Batson, um, who I just called and talked to him last week. Um, he's about a seven foot tall African-American black man uh, who was just a, a titan in our community um, as uh, the head guy. He was the band director of the high school. He actually integrated our high school, um, you know, a program because our city, of course, going from segregation to integration, he was the band director to sort of make that transition for our community. And so he had generations and generations of students come through uh, there. But I had him as my uh, band director. And literally, he allowed me not to just be drum major, but like I played, I asked him questions. When he was gone, substitutes were gone, I ran rehearsal. Uh, all these kind of things. And so um, had great affirmations with him uh, in my uh, skill and talent. Um, Virginia Brohan, our choral teacher, I accompanied the choir and then went on to University of Maryland College Park, go Terps, uh, for my undergraduate mm -hmm. degree in jazz studies, piano performance. 
which is very unique for my field to have an undergrad degree in jazz piano, but that's uh, my story. And um, I then became drum major of the Mighty Sound of Maryland for four years. At that point in time, wow. no one had had uh, the title of drum major for four years uh, during their tenure. And I was one of the first people to do that. Uh, and then I started teaching at Gwynn Park High School in Prince George's County, uh, Maryland, one of the most uh, affluent Black communities, uh, counties in the entire country. Um, I was there at Gwynn Park for five years, um, had memorable times with those students. Those students are still very close to me. We still uh, stay in touch. I have several that have gone into the teaching profession. Um, and then after then, I wanted more from school, went to University of Maryland College Park again and studied with Dr. Michael Voda when conducting. And uh, after that, there's a great story with that. I'll, uh, maybe we'll get to that. Um, after that, I went to University of North Carolina at Greensboro to get my doctorate in instrumental conducting with Kevin Giraldi and John Locke. And then, thank God I got a job after all that schooling, you know, because you're broke. So, uh, <laughs> I went to uh, Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida, in between Orlando and Tampa for two years, and uh, then went all the way from Central Florida to Potsdam, New York, which no one knows where Potsdam, New York is at all. Yeah. But I would say if you know where Canada starts, we're just shy of where Canada starts in the up, upper, 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 true upstate uh, New York. We're about uh, an hour and a half from Ottawa, Canada and uh, about three and a half hours from Montreal. So um, literally the border of the United States is about 35 minutes away. Uh, so uh, yeah, and now because of COVID, I'm teaching online. Uh, I'm back in the DMV just so I could get good takeout and be around more people. Since we have to be socially <laughs> distant, I can be around my friends and family. So I've been here yeah. for uh, just shy of a year come June. Uh, so. Don't know what the future holds. Hopefully we're on the uh, the end of this thing here, but um, it sort of brings me uh, to today. I am a church musician. As I talked about that, I've been doing that since age four, playing for church choir. So that's already, that's always been another part of my career um, path. I've played for several churches in all the states of wherever I've lived. Um, and that faith element through music and artistry is a big part of uh, how I identify. All right. Well, so thank you for coming out and uh, thank you for telling your story. Yeah, <laughs> we're done here. No, there's so much more I could pick apart. I just try to just give the overall sort of uh, vibe of. No, like, I'm just teasing you. Uh, I want to go back to a couple of things that you yeah. said. Um, so uh, do you qualify as having perfect pitch? Is that that or is that? I don't have perfect pitch. Um mm -hmm. I, I I do have a very strong ear and probably mm -hmm. if earlier in my life, I would have pushed closer to having it. If I think I could have acquired it, but I don't have perfect pitch and um, it's too late to sort of, I, I think it's really good. Like I can pretty much tell when I hear something, I can go to the piano and play it. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if I have a very strong relative pitch, but I wouldn't say it's perfect pitch. Okay. So you start off, uh, with the the piano at two, mm -hmm. and, and it seems like it's just been nonstop with music from that yeah. point. Yeah, man. How many instruments do you play? Um, so I play piano. Um, so and then I guess I kind of split the 
the styles up. You know, there's classical piano. I do play classical piano. I play jazz, gospel. Um, I've mm-hmm. done R&B, you know, weddings, whatever. Um, I've done musical theater, playing in orchestra pits for that. Uh, but also I play pipe organ, uh, classical pipe organ. Um, uh, I used to, I've had um, jobs at Episcopal churches. So um, totally on the opposite side of the world of what I was raised and, and, and I'll just be straightforward, white Episcopal churches. Um, the mm-hmm. Episcopal church that I played for in Cambridge, I, there's a story my mom has where they inducted Harriet Tubman to be a saint in the Episcopal church. And it was wow. uh, the, the Episcopal church in our town that we went to this service when I was little. And um, it was a community service. And interestingly, Harriet Tubman's slave owner was a member of this church. So it wasn't just that we're inducting Harriet Tubman <laughs> into the sainthood, but we're doing it in the church where her slave owner uh, actually went to worship. And uh, the organist mm. at the time there was Robert Young. And I was just enthralled with the sound of this huge Casavant pipe organ. And I told my mom, I'm like, I'm going to play that one day. And she, of course, she was like, yeah, whatever. But actually, before I graduated <laughs> high school, I was the organist at that church for two years. And wow. really the first African-American organist uh, on staff there. And so um, yeah. I've got to be careful because when I say things, they kind of happen. So, <laughs> you know, but um, that, that, that adds a little bit to that. But so pipe organ, uh, classical jazz, piano. Trombone was my band instrument. Um, I played trombone just so I could be in the band. Um, it wasn't necessarily, um, I wanted something that was big and loud. My mom wanted me to play saxophone or violin. Uh, she wanted me to play violin like Louis Farrakhan or saxophone like Kenny G because she said I could, you know, that's those are the instruments that you romance people with, not the trombone. But that's what I wanted, yeah. something big and loud. So that's <laughs> it's kind of hard to. Right, right, man. It's, it, it, <laughs> even though I've heard some people, some people out there have some good swag with it, but it's a little bit different uh, of, of an of a yeah. image there. So, uh, but that's my other instrument. I sing if I have to. Um, it's not something that I necessarily say is my forte. And part of the reason why I didn't want to even develop that skill, at least mentally, was every time I showed up at a church, you know how it is in black church, you know, someone knows that you're there, regardless if you're there for whatever the program is, they know that you do something musical. They're like, Oh, well, we're going to have, you know, my nickname is JR. We'll have JR come to the front and do a solo. So I was like, you get one or the other. So I play, that's it. You're not getting any words. No, no, nothing out of that. But I do it, you know, in order to sing to for choirs or, or something like that, or to fill out on a praise team while I'm playing or whatever directing um, I'll do that. So. Yeah. But of course, yeah. as a music educator, we do have the experience of at least a little bit on all of the wind uh, instruments a little bit. But um, I definitely wouldn't pick it up now because I haven't done that stuff in years. I haven't played the trombone since undergrad. So um, yeah. it's sort of gone to the to the background. As somebody that's never played an instrument, I always marvel at people that can play one instrument, let alone multiple instruments. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's quite a skill set. And then to be able to play it by ear. And uh, so along the way, you learn how to read music, I'm sure. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you have that dual threat. All right. So let's get into, um, you know, the organization Mm -hmm. that you are currently working for and your titles. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So um, at the Crane School of Music, um, which is 
um, part of SUNY Potsdam. Potsdam is the location. Part of SUNY is the State University of New York system. I am Associate Director of Bands. Uh, with that responsibility, I conduct the concert band, um, the campus community band, and I'm um, part of a two-person team. The Director of Bands is uh, Dr. Brian Doyle. So he conducts the wind ensemble, which is our top ensemble. And uh, he has a co-equal group because we have so many students in the Crane School of Music. We sort of have to split the next sort of uh, younger students into two. So his group and my group, we play about the same um, level of repertoire. Uh, mm -hmm. And so he has the symphonic band, but he uh, is a great colleague and invites me to guest conduct our top students as well. The unique thing about Crane, unlike other schools of music, where you probably have a graduate school population and an undergraduate population, we're pretty much all an undergraduate population. Uh, and okay. more than, uh, I would say, one-sixth of the entire campus are students in the School of Music. So on a campus that's maybe 38,000, if not a little bit less, um, a third of the students at Potsdam are part of the Crane School of Music. So it's a large school of music, wow. a really, really small campus. And so mm -hmm. uh, those are my responsibilities as associate director of bands. I'm the first associate director of bands by title. There have been other people who have done conducting responsibilities, but they did not have that title. And um, I'm very proud and, and consider myself blessed to be the first Black conductor uh, in the school's history since. Um, the late 1800s, just before the 1900s, when the school was actually founded. So um, I'm just, it just boggles my mind that I'm the first at something like that for something that has such a strong history. In the state of New York, Crane provides more than 51% of the um, music education profession in the state of New mm -hmm. York. So it's really hard to find a music teacher in New York who did not um, go to Crane. So it's a very wow. um, big uh, school as far as its imprint in the state. And then on my other side of the profession, um, my professional responsibilities, that is, in the music education department, I'm assistant professor of music. So I uh, teach several courses that prepare students to go into the classroom. It's right before they're going to go into their student teaching experience. Um, I also teach a wind literature class. So it's kind of getting students into all of the literature that they may um, have played, but kind of giving more of the backstory, the composers, the programmatic content. Um, but I also teach conducting and conducting is honestly the biggest joy that I have uh, in teaching, because I think that um, that role is where the, the history, the theory, the performance, your ear training, all of it ends up all synthesized into one responsibility. And that's where you're actually able to make a difference in the world uh, as a conductor in front of your middle school band, high school band, or future college. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you because your first uh, experience as a conductor, you were actually challenging your teacher and saying, well, you know, you're just doing that. <laughs> yeah. Your perspective has yeah. changed now. <laughs> no, but actually, no, I love it. And, and I, I, I invite my students to challenge. Um, uh, I mean, your perspective ideal. of what the teacher actually was carrying out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just as simple yeah. as mo moving your fingers, right? Right. Yeah. No. So I understand that so much more to it. Like, there's so, so, yeah. so much more to it than what I, I knew then. Uh, but actually, I'll say that my first conducting experience actually goes even before that. I used to put my sister up on our 
um, fireplace <laughs> and start CDs. And she would either be the choir or acting something out. And I would scream at her uh, and I would kind of play <laughs> conductor with her. So she actually was my first sort of uh, training ground even before that. But that's that's very real. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So you um, you said you were the first associate director. Mm hmm of uh crane or were you the first black associate director i want to just make sure um both are true yeah. both are true so the title okay. is actually new okay. uh period okay. and then on top of that um the first of the conducting faculty and our conducting faculty have i mean the the list of people who have conducted at crane the names of the folks are just it's humbling to even know that i'm my picture is in the faculty you know history along with them uh, but uh, it's just now that we have a person of color in that in that role. Yeah. So so I, I like to ask this question as well when I'm dealing with people that are artistic um, in what they do. Well, actually, pretty much any profession. Um, so when did you think you were good? So let's take the <laughs> conducting part. <laughs> at what point do you say I'm, I'm good at this? Did you think that you were good at it? I still think I'm still in the part of just growing. Um, it's weird. I, I think I'm going to figure out how to be a great conductor and then I'm going to be raptured. Like life is going to be over. I, I really think it's something that, well, cause it's about relationship and how do you get to know people and inspire people? And so mm -hmm. I don't think I'm at any point of a finished product. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think I'm definitely at a point where um Every day is a new challenge. And with that, I just happen to have a high level of success of getting what I want out of uh, the ensemble. But I, I would not say it's an end, um, end mission at all. And I think most artists feel that way, is that we feel yes. as if though there's always something more. We're always chasing, like, how can I do that more efficiently? Or how can I do that better or faster? Or um, yeah. So there's always another brass ring, which I think kind of makes us crazy at the same time. But um, <laughs> You know, I, 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 I say that it's just now that I'm out of the clutches of my mentors and just kind of doing this thing for real. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not far from them because they're still inside of the experiences that I've had with them, but um, it feels different. Like, I'm able to create a little bit more and take more risks so that's why I think it's 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 I'm still coming into my own. And I think most artists would tell you that uh, as well. Yeah. And so um, I but as far as being good at it, um, you know, I, I, I just it, it's it's hard because I'm as an artist, you're so critical of the art you put out into the world. And it's it often catches me by surprise. So like when I was teaching at Gwen Park, it would be hearing a recording of them and me sometimes not knowing it was them or, or being distant from it and going like, Ooh, like that was kind of good. <laughs> like, you know, or, or, or even hear my own playing and um, you know, and just being able to maybe juxtapose, you know, a, a performance of one ensemble at one point in time and then come back two years or three years later and listen to them now. And then you realize like, well, I, guess I had something to do with that um, and, yeah. and how it works. And so um, it's a work in progress, man. It, it, it just really yeah. is. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And that's typically what I get when uh, we, mm -hmm. we interview 
and I asked that question. So now I have a, I'm a double down <laughs> on that question with yeah. when did you know you were good? So, and what I mean by that is, right. You know, you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when did, when did you arrive at that place where, you know, I know what I'm doing here. I know how, I know how to get uh, out of students, what I want to get out of them. I know how to get out of this music, what I want to get out of it. When did you, when did you arrive at that? Um, and I, I think each situation reveals itself different, especially cause I'm so, um, close to when I graduated the doctoral experience. So it's like, you start yeah. teaching about year three, you're like, Oh, I got this. Like, I am the conductor. Like I got it. My <laughs> students are cooking. My marching band is great. My jazz band is doing well. My concert band is doing well. They are, they are, um, you know, killing it at solo and ensemble, the little chamber things that they were doing. We were being invited to uh, the library of Congress. We're playing on the mall. We're invited to Bermuda for free. We, so like, it's like, okay, I got this. And then we decide mm-hmm. to go back to grad school. It's like it starts all over again, man. It's just like, I don't know anything. And so then like, you know, right. So you go to grad school and it's, it's like, I don't know anything. Like nothing works anymore. So then you get some skills again. And the whole point of going to getting that, you know, master's degree is to get the doctorate. And so then it's time to, you know, submit your tapes to different schools to see if they will invite you on campus to do the audition. So like you do a pre-screen and then you're invited to campus. Well, you know, when I saw that, you know, some of the most respected places in the country were like, Hey, come to campus and audition. I'm like, Oh, well, apparently I'm doing something right. You know, like, you know, this is working. And then you get, you know, it's like, yes, I landed a spot UNCG. Here I go. And then you get there and then it's like, wait, I don't know anything all over again. So it starts all over again. So like, I honestly believe that like every new situation, you enter into this space where you've got to refigure out and recalibrate things because conducting isn't an absolute science, right? Because you are a human being and the people in front of you are human beings. And so it's like dancing with a different partner. It's it's like, oh, this is a little quirky. Like, why did you move like that? And then eventually you'll hit this space where it's like, oh, now we're in the groove and now this is moving. And yeah. so I do, I do believe that I'm talented. I think I'm extremely humble when it comes to that. And so maybe that's what you're getting at, yeah. like the hesitancy to say certain things. Um, and, mm-hmm. and honestly, it's not me, man. It's all God. And, and I'll, yeah. it's, it's all, it's all what's come before me. It's all the energy of the people who um, have been trailblazers, if I know them, if I don't know them. And so I'm literally just striving to be a better me. I feel like every day that I have, I have the opportunity to improve. So I can't give you a, I still can't give you a date of when did I know I was good because tomorrow I want to be better. You know, like maybe who I was today, you know, works, but for tomorrow, like it's a, it's a different story. It's another opportunity to do it better, to teach better, to be a better musician. So it just brings me back. The work is never done. So, um, yeah, I'm just trying to do the best. I think that's a great lesson for, for, to put on. And when you're chronicling somebody's story, I think that, uh, when people watch this back, they get to hear that because to be accomplished doesn't mean to mean that you know it, 
mm-hmm. and you you have arrived, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we want to we want to steer away from saying I've arrived. Yeah. Right. This is all yeah. we're always moving. We're always growing. We're always changing and developing. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Jimmy Hammond for that. All right. <laughs> yeah. So well, David, even what you were just saying, like I, I may be accomplished, but I'm not finished. Yeah. So like what is that accomplish? I hate to say it, but like, so what is that accomplishment? That just becomes the new baseline for what comes next. Yeah. And I think that's my Absolutely. mother. Uh, my mother was really big. She was a, she was a um, uh, English teacher and um, she was, you know, she, she ran a tight ship for my sister and I. And <laughs> um, even without her being with me physically, I still hear her. And that standard is yeah. still part of who I am. And so it can always be better. And and the reason also is, is that she told me very early on, I think it was the first time I bought, brought home like a, a B or something like that. And, you know, I was like, mom, I got a B. And she was not impressed. And she said, you know, <laughs> JR, you need to understand that uh, when Allison and Scott are, run, are running, you must be sprinting beyond them. Yeah to get the same amount of credit. Like there's that scene in um, Olivia Pope uh, with granddaddy Pope and Olivia. And, you know, they have that exchange and and that's something part of black culture is we just know we've got to be twice as good to be acknowledged, yeah. you know, uh, to some of our um, other colleagues. And so that's still part yeah. of it. So that's, that's great. You went there. Cause that's where I was headed. So oh, good. we talked about, <laughs> you know, all your influences and the positive nature in which you've formed and developed. And, you know, you've had great people touching upon your life. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that a little bit more later. But let's talk about some of the challenges you face, right? Because you're a black man mm-hmm. uh, conducting band, <laughs> right? And so, you know, I don't want to be presumptuous here, but I would imagine you face some challenges uh, along the way. So talk a little bit yeah. about some of those. Um, well, being in a white dominated field, um, is challenging. It's a challenge that only people of color understand. Um, you know, when we interview for a new job, we walk into a room, we know that that room is going to be populated with majority of people who don't understand or have any sort of congruent, intersection of heritage or cultural upbringing um as 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 you do and so um with what we can't deny our history in the united states and we know that race is a big problem here in our country and so it's hard and it took me a long time to shut off the inner voice that was saying I bet you most of the people in here don't like black people. I bet most of the people <laughs> in here don't even have black yeah. friends. I, I'm sure most of the people in here don't listen to the music that I listen to. They don't eat the food that I listen to, you know, and mm-hmm. what are their assumptions of me mm-hmm. just walking into the room? And mm-hmm. so you, you said you shut that off. I, I work hard to shut that off. Um, mm-hmm. why, and, is, and, why would you? Yeah. So, and the reason why I do that is because um, it's, it's, it, it confines you. It makes you, you know, you end up in this, in a situation where you're on the defense 
And as a conductor, gotcha. it's my job to wear like I am me. This is who I am. This is this is what I believe about the music. I'm inspiring you. You know, this is a collaborative experience. I got to put my emotions on my shoulder and I yeah. can't be authentically me if yeah. I'm afraid to show you me and I'm yeah. afraid of how you view me. So yeah. I, I worked really hard to shut that off. And, and it, I'm not going to say that it doesn't appear and I have to put it in check every time I enter into a new space, that there is something that begins to, you know, that it's kind of like the volume starts turning up on that voice. I'm like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. You are wonderful in who you are. You are learned. Yeah. You know your stuff. You have achieved greatness. You are from greatness. You know, you have something, you have a voice that the world needs to hear. Um, you know, and also I have got to sort of give people a chance, you know, that the people in yeah. front of me, I'm a, you know, it's not right for me to assume that they don't like black people. So yeah. it's, it's a trust thing on both sides. And that's not easy when you can turn yeah. on the media and see something totally yeah. different. And so yeah. um, it's so vulnerable, man. It, it's like, like I'm putting my heart out there of this is the best me that I have. And I've reworked it. And I'm even teaching my students that you are your own brand. Like there may be better yeah. conductors that, and there will be, there will be better conductors that will exist after me right now behind me, et cetera. But there's only mm -hmm. Dr. One, Dr. William Lake Jr. And Mm -hmm. I can only do things the way that I do them. You can't do what I do the way that I do them because it ain't going to work for you. So like, yeah. you know, whether it's I'm, I'm caught up in the moment and I decide to code switch and come back and make a reference to this or whatever. I remember in my, yeah. um, <laughs> in my graduate audition at UNCG, the trumpet player was playing what I thought was too loud. Um, no, the trumpet player was actually being buried by all of the accompanying voices. We were doing Lincolnshire Posey. I okay. thought that the other instruments were too loud. And I stopped the ensemble and I said, um, that's Beyonce. Kelly, Michelle, you got to get in the background. Like, Kelly, Michelle, mm -hmm. like, that's Beyonce. The whole place died laughing. Like, my teacher, <laughs> you know, they became my future mentors, but they, like, died laughing. But, like, I just mm -hmm. realized, like, I can just be myself and talk about it the way I would talk yeah. Um, yeah. in a way that maybe my teachers can't talk about it the same way. You know, if I tell my, you Absolutely. know, I, if I tell my tubas, you know, Hey, like, like that was lit. Like, yeah, give me more. Like yeah. that's me, you know, and yeah. that is going to be something that's part of my brand and students will respond to it. And it's okay to be me yeah. and how I want to express myself. And so, um, yeah, so that's I why I jump in here yeah, go ahead. because you said quite, quite a lot of great things. And I want to bookmark some of this because, uh, you were talking about your mom teaching you about the effort that it takes that you have to go above and beyond. And we all, you know, all of us black people know that. We, Everybody's you know, gotten that story, right? <laughs> yeah. We, we, we know, we know what the deal is and, yeah. and maybe some white folks know what the deal is as well. So that's one aspect of racism and how it impacts us. But then you articulate it so well, the, the internal aspect of it. And I'm, you know, having interviewed Dr. Uh, Spratlin, mm -hmm. hers was, uh, it showed up in terms of um, uh, imposter syndrome is the word she mm -hmm. used. Mm -hmm. All right. But for you, 
it was more about shutting off these preconceived notions you had about white folks uh, that really they force upon you, mm-hmm. but you've got to straighten that out yourself to be great. Absolutely. And so it's not just you, it's not just you, um, you know, having to run harder and, you know, jump higher and all that, but there's also this internal thing that you have to deal with from a, uh, mm-hmm. from a challenge standpoint. But let's talk a little bit about um, the representation. How does it feel to walk into a room as the only black conductor that's in, in this room or in this space? Uh, for a while, it felt, and, and it's still there, um, but it's another thing that I have to just put in check. It feels like I am wearing every single black musician that has ever existed on the face of the planet on my shoulders, wow. which isn't fair, right? Because yeah. like, that's not fair. But I feel like I have got to represent our culture in a way that people walk away thinking black people can do this and do this in excellence and maybe even better um, because of the uniqueness of how we um, emote and, and the, and the expression of, of our story that comes out so richly into how we express ourselves and that links itself to, to music. And so um, it's, it's an honor, but it's also, it can sometimes be debilitating. Um, And, and it can, again, make you box up because you're trying to prove something that's not even fair to yourself. Like I'm trying to be a (laughs) monolith to represent the whole entire artistic culture from, you know, Quincy Jones to Whitney Houston to, you know, um, James the priest to, to like, you know, classical it's, it's, that's just not fair. Like I can, yeah. why can I just be me? But, um, yeah. but I do walk in, I believe representing what has come before me. And that gives yeah. me the ideal of, wait a minute, I am the descendant of William and Janice Lake. So of course we come up in here and yeah. we're excellent at what we do. And, and that's, again, it's my mother and father, you know, telling me, you know, like, you know, you are, you're smart you're beautiful as a black young man you know you 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 have something to uh contribute and um so it it still happens man like and i think uh dr uh, mitchell's uh idea about it being imposter syndrome i think that is the clinical term for it i mean it's you're you're it's very easy to second guess yourself because there is someone somewhere who's willing to do that yeah you know what I mean? And so um, yeah. that's, that's very real. It's very real, yeah. but um, yeah, it's, it's a, a challenge and, and it's, it's tr- and, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Now, yeah, it's a tremendous challenge that we face, but it's important that you are excellent in that role, especially when mm-hmm. you're one of the few, mm-hmm. right. Or the first in your case right. for just for those opportunities for people that, you know, that's going to come behind you in the door that you're kicking open mm-hmm. for them. Right. It's a huge responsibility, but it's a real thing. And so as a, I'm a history teacher mm-hmm. um, and I teach African-American history as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things, first lessons I teach my students is about social constructs. Right. Right. And we know that race is a social construct. And so, you know, but I, I teach them that that doesn't mean that it's fake. 
Right. Right. It's just made up by society. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that society makes up, but it be, it becomes very real because mm-hmm. there's meaning placed on these social constructs. So when we think about race, you know, all of these feelings you're feeling is because it's a real deal. And it's really, you are to some degree carrying the mantle mm-hmm. for the black race in that space that you're in as, as unfair as it may be. Right. And, and I, I know, you know, knowing that, you know, my mother integrated her high school um, in the sixties and um, well, late sixties, um, early seventies and, and knowing she was spat on um, like those stories are real. Like in, in, in Princeton, North Carolina, she was one of the first to integrate her school. And then thinking about, you know, every single school that I have a degree from black people weren't allowed to walk down the street, you know? Um, yeah. You know, so there, there's a lot of pride that I have. And um, that's why I work so hard, man. Like I, I really work really, really, really hard to be better than. And that's just my that's just my mode of how I exist. You know, it's just yeah. I, I'm always working to be better than. Um, and it's not really it's turned from, of course, being younger, like, you know, your mom's like doing it for my parents. But now I do it for me, um, that the mm-hmm. excellence is because I know I'm excellent. And that's what I demand out of myself. So that's another way I've sort of changed that energy from the approval of others. Yeah. But does it meet my standards? And my standard yeah. is ridiculously high. And um, yeah. it's because of the, the the shoulders from Wakanda that I'm standing on. And um, yeah, I don't take absolutely. it lightly. Yeah. All right. So, you know, that's great, man. Part of what we like to do is inspire. Uh, we also like to celebrate and yeah. we like to educate. But let's, yeah. let's, let's celebrate you a little bit. Let's talk about some of your successes um, mm-hmm. that you've experienced. Um, so, um, successes, uh, there's so much, I, I find my students are where I really find the joy of my success. Um, I believe that that's where I will be able to see my effect in the profession. Um, it's not, it's not about me. It's about what I see them being able to do. Um, I'm very proud of the students that I have that have gone into music education um, the students that I see flourishing in their like random fields of endeavor. I've got students who are working at like corporate Apple, like level jobs, yeah. students who are getting their doctorate in um, biomedical engineering type stuff. I mean, yeah. like it's, it's me going down Facebook and seeing like all of these, yeah. you know, awesome students. And I'll just put out there, Gwen Park, my band was 98% African-American. So wow. seeing all these black faces go by yeah. and like, whether regardless if they're with Apple or whether they are just great um, barbers and just seeing their art yeah. and how they, you yeah. know, you know, hook a person up or these cool styles or whatever. That's what brings me joy. And um, that's how I will measure my success. And the, and the way I'll measure it is if I can die empty, I want to die and not have anything left to give to anyone. I want to mm-hmm. mentor people. Mm-hmm. I, and, and that's the way I have, feel like my mom left here. She, it was time because I had done so much. She had taken me as far as she can go. Same for my sister. Yeah. And now it was time for mm-hmm. us to, you know, you know, run on. And so 
even though she died at an early age and we're young, you know, um, but that's how I will measure my success uh, with my students. But um, things I've done that I'm, I'm proud of, um, you know, it's uh, the music that I've been able to champion and put out there. Um, I recently championed a piece by Black composer Omar Thomas um, that I dedicated to my parents, Shenandoah. Um, I um, take it as a um, just a, a, a way to put back into the world what was given to me that uh, students were able to see themselves reflected. Um, yeah. You know, getting this job, man, like, I mean, just being able to land a, a, a tenure track college job is not a small measure of um, grit at all. I mean, you've got to go through yeah. master's degrees, you know, graduate yeah. degrees, and then still win the gig. And just being honest, yeah. you know, you send your tape forward to a committee and you don't know what their thoughts are about black people. Like, here we go again. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. You know, and Absolutely. I know that I've got to work harder to land those uh, opportunities. Um, I'm excited. And I, I, two years ago, um, a fellow colleague and I, we did the first conducting clinic for the HBCU uh, Band Directors Consortium uh, in Atlanta, mm-hmm. Georgia. And one of the students there just sent me a message that he um, is now going to be studying choral conducting at the University of Georgia, Black male from Morehouse, so like I, I find my joy in like seeing the fruits of my labor just manifest in, in so many different ways with people. Yeah. Um, I've done something. I've been like semifinalist for some uh, conducting um, competitions, which are, which yeah. are great. Um, but man, it's, it's more about the, the people I come in contact and seeing what they're able to do. I, I don't, and I, and I really believe that, like I'm actually struggling to think about the things that, I've done that are so celebratory because I'm so yeah. focused on how do I pour things into people and see oh, yeah. it's the, how that, that sends it's, them off. It is, it is the greatest gift to, to impact others and, mm-hmm. and have them uh, get on their way. And that's why we you teach, I mean? right? Like that's, that's it. That's why we do it. That's it. Yeah. That's what, that's why we teach, yeah. you know? So let's, let's, let's lighten it up a little bit. I think we we could, we could break the record in the time we, we've had an interview if we continue on this. Uh, yeah, man, path. my bad. I, but, I, uh, I go deep. <laughs> uh, it's all, it's all good, man. It's, uh, we, we, this is what we're here for yeah. is to share your story. So, um, part of your story, and I was mentioning this earlier, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I'm always seeing divinity, uh, at work. And so, so something to me, and I just met you, right? So just for the audience to know, we don't know each other, right? I just met you today, really, through the Zoom. Right. And I, I see an assertive person. You've always been assertive, right? But there's always been somebody there to accept that assertiveness, mm-hmm. right? So going back to your story where you said I was, uh, you know, um, challenging the teacher, the conductor mm-hmm. <laughs> and instead of the conductor saying boy sit down somewhere brought you on up and allowed you to do that mm-hmm. right and uh you gave several other scenarios in which you challenged somebody and they brought you or they welcomed you and come on sit at the mm-hmm. piano come on do this come on do that and so that was to me that's god working that's god Absolutely. placing you in front of those people the right people to receive you you being bold enough and right. them saying okay come on with it 
right? And that that's helped nurture your growth. And so, so I just think that's fantastic, man. Going deep is is great for what we're trying to do here. Now, so real. We talked a little bit about that t-shirt or that the hoodie you have on. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> Pre-show. Let's talk a little bit about that before we close out. Yeah. So my, uh, my father was an entrepreneur and used to do all kinds of random things. And so um, I think I kind of got that from him. So I have a um, custom apparel business that I run um, Lakeside Tees, keeping my father's Mm -hmm. uh, name alive uh, there. And so um, I create custom apparel. I've done things for all family reunions, whatever, you know, bands for their like summer, um, dress down gear, hoodies, t-shirts, the whole nine yards. I do a lot of graphic design work as well. Um, I do it for uh, my job. It's not even part of the job, but I want us to look good on social media and be able to, uh, reach, you know, an audience that is glued to, uh, our cell phones. So I, uh, do all kinds of apparel. A lot of it, um, you know, if I come up with something that's, I think, trendy that people would want, I put it up. I have an Etsy page right now. At some point, I'm thinking about moving over to its own private uh, site. So if you just look at Lakeside Tees on Etsy, you'll see um, there's uh, apparel in celebration of our first Black female uh, vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, who yes. uh, yes. shout out to Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Um, I'm an Alpha uh, uh, Phi Alpha brother. So I'm excited about that. Um, this T-shirt, I'm my uh, ancestors' wildest dreams, but it's got that like Martin kind of font from uh, that sitcom. And so uh, it's just a way that for me to celebrate, honestly, myself. And I'm just trying, you know, I've got all kinds of things. I just got to the point where I didn't want to wear other brands because I am my own brand. So, mm-hmm. you know, my clothes has got to, you know, they got to go with it too. So yeah. um, I've got uh, a lot of that. And just to make big, bold statements about who I am and um, what I believe. And truth be told, it's also a reminder to myself um, that every time I go somewhere, and and granted, that's a heavy crown that we wear, you know, I'm surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering me on, that look like me. And um, for me to never get too high to forget that. And yeah. yeah, so uh, yeah, so I'm gonna ask that you 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 stand up a little bit so oh, we can yeah. see so, see the, see the yeah, tip of it. I my ancestors' wildest dreams. Um, it's on yeah. the it's on the Etsy site. Um, you can go on there. Yeah, get give it. us that site again. Uh, it's Lakeside Tees on Etsy. Lakeside Tees on uh, the Etsy dot com site, and it'll come up with a whole bunch of different um, articles of swag you can get. So. Um, well, appreciate the support, but honestly, it's more about you being able to flex as you go, um, you know, around your communities and encourage somebody else. Mm-hmm. All right. So how long have you been at uh, Crane School of Music? Yeah, I've been at Crane. Uh, this is my second year. Uh, it feels really weird because, you know, uh, COVID happened and um I only did three of the four concerts. So the semester stopped in March. We were online. So, and I'm still online and I'm not in Potsdam. It's weird. It's been a weird two years, man. Uh, but uh, mm, yeah, I've been no there doubt. for two years and I'm enjoying it. I really am. Yeah. So as a history teacher, Potsdam is means something else. Uh, you know, like they had the conference at Potsdam um, dealing with uh, World War II when, really? um, 
they decided to uh and they decided to bomb uh Hiroshima. So oh. that's when I saw that I was like, well, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't really uh took yeah. a drift there, but that's that's what popped <laughs> in my mind immediately. Oh man. So you yeah. know, so there's a thing called the Potsdam Declaration. You people look that up this watching this uh this uh episode. But let's go into um I think we're going to go into the no, let me ask this question. Mm-hmm. I want to ask this before we get to the last question. And that is, um, so you add Crane, you face some challenges because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Where do you, where would you like, if you could have your fondest wish answered, where would you like what you're doing at Crane to go? Let's say in the next five years. Uh, one of the big things that Crane has to figure out uh, and the university has to the university has to think figure this out is um, diversifying the student population. Um, it, the black student population is very very slim at Crane. It's very very low, um, which doesn't make sense according to the demographics of New York. Um, just if yeah. you look at it, you know New York is a very um, as a state as a whole is very diverse. Um, and actually, I think the the Latinx population is actually the majority when you look at the data altogether. And we're not doing a great job with uh, reaching uh, black and brown students. And thus what happens is then being 51% of the education population, music education population, therefore then the student, I mean, the the teacher force also is not diverse. And so we really have to do a better job with, engaging with the entire state in a way that students make their way up, you know, the, the, um, the matriculation chain. Um, We, we we just got to change it. And um, I think that uh, we have some really hard and challenging conversations to have about that. One of the big issues is just location. You know, students in New York City, why would I come move all the way to almost Canada, like to be a minority, you know, um, or minoritized? Um, I don't use the word minority anymore. Um, But uh, that's that's a big challenge. So we've got to figure out how to make our curriculum one that no matter where you are, you want to come here because, first of all, you're going to feel championed. You're going to feel safe. You're going to see yourself reflected in the curriculum. You're going to see yourself reflected yeah. in your faculty, and um, it, those are those are not easy hurdles to jump over by any means. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I would say that's a, a problem that's widespread. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think you're hard pressed to find for uh, you know black kids, brown kids, uh, schools that are um, you know in that in that vein where, mm-hmm. you know, they see themselves represented in a variety of ways, including the curriculum, right? Right. And if it's not an HBCU, you're probably hard-pressed to find that. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm at the high school level, mm-hmm. and it's hard-pressed to find it even at that level. So, And, David, yeah, it's about it's not great... just the students surviving, but thriving in those environments. You know, it's one thing to get them there. Right. But, like, them struggling for two years, dropping out, I mean, you, you just miss it. And so... Um, yeah. It's a, it's a big challenge. It really is. Yeah. All right. So let's get to the last and most important question. 
uh, of our podcast. Uh, every podcast we end with this question because it's crucial. Um, so the question is, have you ever been on a magazine cover? I have not been on the cover of a magazine. <laughs> okay, well, now you have, um, just by virtue of being a guest of the Dripping in Black podcast, gotcha. each guest becomes <laughs> uh, that covers uh, that cover picture. So That's you're, cool, the co- you're on the cover of the Dripping in Black magazine. That's good. <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. I mean, like, just any time that we can put black faces in a space of prominence and to be featured in who we are is, is an honor. And so, and it's crazy because I see the picture, I see my father, um, because the older I get, the more I look like him. So I'm a junior. I really cherish that. So, uh, I appreciate it. I really do. Yeah. Well, that will be not just, uh, something we show on the episode, but a parting gift for you. And we get that printed out and we send that to you at a later date. So that's just a thank you for having you come on. Listen, uh, we could talk a lot more, and I think that we will. I think we'll reach out to you to have more conversation around some other things, a great in-depth conversation. But we want to thank you, uh, Dr. William Lake, for gracing us with your presence, and uh, hope to see you again in the future. Absolutely. Thank you for the invite. And uh, I think this podcast is um, just absolutely excellent in featuring Blackness in excellence. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity again to drop uh, any social media that you want to drop oh, cool. at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a YouTube page um, that's on there and it's easy to find. Just go into the search engine. You can look up William Lake Jr. Uh, that's there. I recently started a uh, organization called ICU, Affirming Representation in Music uh, for all sort of um, networking workshops, uh, master classes for people of color specifically, whether it's at the student level, we just did a high school kind of like, so you want to be a music major, like what you need to be thinking about now. So that's also on Facebook, just type in ICU and you'll see affirming representation of music. Follow us um, there. Uh, my colleague and I, we just started that, uh, but YouTube, and uh, Facebook, and then my own uh, website is www.wlljrmyinitials.com. So again, www.wlljr.com. You can see videos. If I'm doing a lecture somewhere, that's all up there. And um, I just appreciate the support. I really do. All right. So thanks again, Dr. William Lake Jr. For coming out and gracing us with your presence and we're going to ask the audience to hold on as we go into the final segment of our podcast the last drip up next the last drip but first a message from anchor A dripping in black thanks to Dr. William Lake Jr. for joining us and sharing his inspirational journey towards his many firsts as a young African-American male, blazing a trail as a conductor in the predominantly white male world of classical music. Plus, I revel in the fact that his journey has just begun. 
However, we have reached the final segment of our podcast called The Last Drip. The Last Drip is the last opportunity for us to squeeze in a bit more of Black excellence for you. In this final segment, we highlight a common thread between our guests and our vast and rich African-American history. For this episode, we celebrate a giant in the history of American conductors, Black or otherwise, maestro Dr. Paul Freeman. Born in 1936 in Richmond, Virginia, Paul began playing piano at five, then moved on to the clarinet and cello. At age 17, Paul gained his first experience conducting, directing the performance of his high school band after the band conductor became ill. In 1952, Freeman began studying at the Eastman School of Music of Rochester, New York, where he earned his bachelor's in 1956, master's in 1957, and doctorate in 1963. In 1987, Paul founded the Chicago Sinfonietta and served as his first music director and conductor, a position he would serve for 24 years. From 1979 to 1996, Dr. Freeman served simultaneously as a music director or an associate director or a guest conductor for several other notable orchestras across the world. Dr. Freeman has been recognized for his work in numerous ways, including receiving two Emmy Award nominations. Over his lifetime, Freeman led more than 100 orchestras in over 30 countries. Freeman is also one of America's most successful recording conductors, with approximately 200 releases to his credit. Perhaps Dr. Freeman's greatest accomplishment, however, was helping to reshape the ethnic landscape of classical music. Under Paul's leadership, the Chicago Sinfonietta established and achieved its primary goal of promoting diversity and inclusiveness throughout its organization and its audiences. Today, nearly half of its professional performers are people of color. Dr. Freeman was a black change agent whose residual effects have helped pave the way for the inclusion of minoritized people in classical music, such as today's guest, Dr. William Lake Jr., and many, many others. So in honor of his life's work and far-reaching influence, maestro Dr. Paul Freeman is this episode's last drip. For more on maestro Dr. Paul Freeman, check out blackpast.org, chicagotribune.com, and chicagosinfonietta.org. My thanks to all of these websites for the knowledge. This last drip segment is also the final last drip for our first season of the Dripping in Black podcast. I want to give a big public thanks to Rochelle Cunningham, a.k.a. The Voice, a.k.a. Roll the Entertainer, a.k.a. Roku, for all of her contributions to our podcast and promos throughout season one. I also want to thank my executive producer, Sean Smith, for making this segment come to life with his editing skills and all of his behind the scenes work. In total, Sean and I have provided the world with some 24 short video summaries that highlight some of the greatness from our vast and rich African-American history. I encourage all of our viewers and listeners to make time to learn a little bit about these black pioneers and trailblazers 
whose legacies we were lucky enough to document this season. If you haven't already, I encourage you to subscribe for free to the DIBK YouTube channel and receive firsthand notifications regarding Dripping in Black video releases. A big thanks to all of our faithful listeners and viewers for supporting us throughout our inaugural season. You are truly appreciated by us both. Please tell a friend to tell a friend and join us as we usurp control of our narrative, debunk negative stereotypes, and tell our own true stories of Black excellence. And until next time, be kind, be loving, and be excellent on purpose. It is a choice. You have just experienced a Dripping in Black production.